0: Chapter 25. The next morning, Scarlet's body was so stiff and sore from the long miles of walking and jolting to the wagon that every movement was agony. Her face was crimson with the sunburn, and her blistered palms raw. Her tongue was furred, and her throat parched, as if flames had scorched it, and no amount of water could assuage her thirst. Her head felt swollen, and she winced even when she turned. Her eyes, a queasiness of the stomach, reminiscent of the early days of her pregnancy, made the smoking yams on the breakfast table unendurable, even to the smell. Gerald could have told her she was suffering the normal aftermath of her first experience with heart-drinking, but Gerald noticed nothing. He sat at the head of the table, a gray old man with absent faded eyes fastened on the door, and head slightly to hear the rustle of Ellen's petticoats, to smell the lemon ver- verbena sachet. As Scarlett sat down, she mumbled, We will wait for Mr. Z- oh, he mumbled, We'll wait for Mrs. O'Hara, she is late. She raised an aching head, looked at him with startled incredul- incred- incredulity, and met the pleading eyes of Mammy, who stood behind Gerald's chair. She rose unsteadily, her hand at her throat, and looked down at her father in the morning sunlight. He peered up at her vaguely, and she saw that his hands were shaking, that his head trembled a little. Until this moment, she had not realized how much she had counted on Gerald to take command to tell her what she must do, and now, why, last night, he had seemed almost himself. There had been none of his usual bluster and vitality, but at least he had told a connective story, and now, now he did not even remember Ellen was dead. The combined shock of the coming of the Yankees and her death had stunned him. She started to speak, but Mammy shook her head vehemently, and raising her apron, dabbed at her red eyes. "'Oh, can Pa have lost his mind?' thought Scarlet, and her throbbing head felt as if it would crack." with this added strain no no he's just dazed by it all it's like he was sick he'll get over it he must get over it what will I do if he doesn't I I, I, I won't think about it now I won't think of it or mother or any of those awful things now no not till I can stand it there are too many people too many other things to think about Things that can be helped without my thinking of those I can't help. She left the dining room without eating and went out into the back porch where she found pork, barefooted and in the ragged remains of his best livery, sitting on the steps cracking peanuts. Her head was hammering and throbbing and the bright sunlight stabbed into her eyes merely holding herself erect acquired an effort of will of willpower and she talked as briefly as possible dispensing with the usual forms of courtesy her mother had always taught her to use with negroes she began asking questions so briskly and giving orders so decisively pork's eyebrows went up in mystification miss ellen didn't never talk so short to nobody not even when she caught them stealing pellets and watermelons. She asked again about the fields, the gardens, and the stock. And her green eyes had a hard, bright glaze, which pork had never seen in them before. Yes, am dat, that, that house dad lying there where I tie him with his nose in de water bucket, And he over, no, em de the cowing dead. "'Didn't you know she done have a calf last night? Dat why she bellowed so.'" "'A fine midwife your Prissy will make,' Scarlet remarked caustically. "'She said she was bellowing because she needed a milkin'. "'Well, um, Prissy ain't fixin' to be no cow midwife, Miss Scarlet,' Park said tactfully. "'And ain't no use quarrellin' with blessings, "'cause... Dat calf going to mean a full cow and plenty of buttermilk for the young missus, like that Yankee doctor say they need. Alright, go on, any stock left? No, um, no, nothing except one old soul and her litter, uh, drived them into the swamp the day the Yankees came. But, the lord knows how we gonna get them, she mean dat soul she mean that, so we'll get them, all right? You and Prissy can start right now hunting for her. Pork was amazed and indignant. Miss Scarlet, That a field hand's business. I's always been a house nah. A small field... I guess I could say a house negro. A small f- fiend with a pair of hot tweezers plucked behind Scarlet's eyeballs. "'You two will catch the soul or get out of here like the field hands did.' S- "'Tears trembled in Pork's hard eyes. "'Oh, if only Miss Ellen was here. "'She understood such niceties and realized the wide gap "'between the duties of the field hand and those of a house negro. "'Get out, Miss Scarlet. What would, "'Would I get out to Miss Scarlet? "'I don't know, and I don't care, "'but anyone at TAR who won't work can go hunt up the Yankees.' You can tell the others that too, yes'm um. now, what about the corn and the cotton pork de the, con- the corn Lord miss scarlet de pasture de horses in de corn and carried off with what de horses didn't eat or spile, and they drive de the cannons and wagons cross the cotton till it plumb brained rent, rent, rent except a few acres over the creek bottoms at. Uh, They didn't notice. But that cotton ain't worth foolin' with. Cause ain't but bout three bales all there. Three bales. Scarlet thought of the scores of bales. Kara usually yielded and her head hurt worse. Three bales. That was little more than the shiftless letteries raised. To make matters worse, there was the question of taxes. The Confederate government took cotton for taxes in lieu of money. But three bales wouldn't even cover the taxes. Little did it matter though to her or the Confederacy now that all the field hands had run away and there was no one to pick the cotton. Well, I won't think of that either, she told herself. Taxes on a woman's job anyway. Pa ought to look after such things and pa I won't think of pa now. The Confederacy can whistle for its taxes. What we need now is something to eat. Pork, have any of you been to Twelve Oaks or the McIntosh place to see if there's anything left in the gardens there? No, ma'am. Us ain't left Tara. The Yankees bell- might get us. I'll send Dalcie over to the McIntosh. Perhaps she'll find something there, and I'll go to Twelve Oaks. Who which child? Must by myself. Mamie must stay with the girls, and Mr. Gerald can't.' "'Pork sat up at an outcry, which she found infuriating. "'There might be Yankees or mean Negroes at Twelve Oaks. "'She mustn't... oh. Set up at outcry, which she found infuriating. "'She mustn't go alone. "'That will be enough, Pork. "'Tell Daisy to start immediately.' And you, Prissy, go bring in the soul in her litter, she said briefly, turning on her heel. Mammy's old sun bonnet, faded but clean, hung on the peg on the back porch, and Scarlet put it on her head, remembering, as from another world, the bonnet with the curling green plume which Rhett had brought her from Paris. She picked up a large split oak basket and started down the back stairs, each step, jouncing her head until her spine seemed to be trying to crash to the top of the skull. The road down to the river lay red and scorching between the ruined cotton fields. There were no trees to cast shade and the sun beat down through Mammy's sunbonnet sun as if it were a made of tarleton instead of heavy quilted calico while the dust floating upwards sifted into her nose and throat until she felt the membranes would crack dryly if she spoke. Deep ruts and furrows were cut into the road, where horses had dragged heavy guns along it, and the red gullies on either side were deeply gashed by the wheels. The cotton was mangled and tamped, where cavalry and infantry forced off the narrow road by the artillery, had er, had er, marched through the green bushes, oh. road by the artillery had marched through the green bushes, grinding them into earth. Here and there in the road fields lay buckets, buck, wait lay buckles and bits of harnessed leather, canteens flattened by hooves and cast on wheels, buttons, blue caps, worn socks, bits of bloody rags, all the litter left by the marching army. She passed the clump of cedars and the low brick wall, which marked the family burying ground, trying not to think of the new grave lying on the three short mounds of her little brothers, by the three short mounds of her little brothers. Oh, Ellen, she trudged on down the dusty hill, passing the heap of ashes and the stumping chimneys where the sluttery house had stood, and she wished savagely that the whole tribe of them had been part of the ashes. If it hadn't been for the Slutteries, if it hadn't been for that nasty Emmy who'd had a bastard brat by their overseer, Elle wouldn't have died. She moaned as a sharp pebble cut into a blistered foot. What was she doing here? Why was Scarlet O'Hara, the belle of the county, the sheltered pride of Tara, trampling down the rough road almost barefoot? Her little feet were made to dance, not to limp. Her tiny slippers to peep daringly from under bright silks, not to collect sharp pebbles and dust. She was born to be pampered and waited on upon, and here she was, sick and ragged, driven by hunger to hunt for food in the gardens and her neighbors of her neighbors at the bottom of the long hill was the river, and how cool and still were she, the tangled trees overhanging the water she sank down on the low bank and, stripping off the remains of her slippers and stockings, doubled her burning feet in the cool water. Be so good to sit here all day, away from the helpless eyes of Tara, here where only the rustle of leaves and the gurgle of slow water broke the stillness. But reluctantly, she replaced her shoes and stockings and trudged down the bank, sponging with moss under the shitty trees. The Yankees had burned the bridge out, but she knew of a foot-long bridge across a narrow point of the stream a hundred yards below. She crossed it cautiously and trudged uphill the hot half-mile to the twelve oaks. There towered the twelve oaks as they had stood since Indian days, but with their leaves brown from from fire and the branches burned and scorched. Within their circle lay the ruins of John Wilkes' house, the charred remains of that once stately home which had crowned the hill in white column dignity. The deep pit which had been as the cellar, the blackened fieldstone foundations, and two mighty chimneys marked the site. One long column, half burned, had fallen across the lawn, crushing the cape, jessamine bushes. Scarlet sat down on the column, too sick of, at the sight to go on. The desolation went to her heart as nothing she had ever experienced. Here was the Wilkes pride and the dust of her feet. Here was the end of the kindly, courteous house which had always welcomed her, the house where its futile dreams she had aspired to be mistress. Here she had danced and dined and flirted, and here she had watched with a jealous, hurting heart how Melanie smiled up at Ashley. Here, too, in the cool shadows of the trees, Charles Hamilton has rep- raptur- t- uh, rapturously pressed her hand, when she said she would marry him oh ashley she thought i hope you were dead i could never bear for you to see this ashley had married the bride here but his bride here but his sons and his son's son would never never bring brides to the house there would be no more meetings and births beneath this roof which she had so loved and longed to rule A house was dead into scarlet. It was as if the Wilkeses, too, were dead in the house in the ashes. I won't think of it now. I can't stand it now. I'll think of it later, she said aloud, turning her eyes away. Seeking the garden, she limped around the ruins. By the trampled rosebuds, the Wilkes girls had tended so... religiously. across the backyard and through the ashes to the smokehouse, barns, and chicken houses. The split rail fence around the kitchen garden had been demolished, and the once orderly rows of green plants had suffered the same treatment as those at Tara. The soft earth was scarred with hoof prints and heavy wheels, and the vegetables were mashed into the soil. There was nothing for her here. She walked back across the yard, and took the path down toward the silent row of whitewashed cabins in the quarters, calling, "'Hello!' as she went. but no voice answered her. Not even a dog barked. Evidently, the Wilkes' Negroes had taken flight or followed the Yankees. She knew every slave had his own garden patch, and as she reached the quarters, she hoped these little patches had been spared." Her search was rewarded, but she was too tired even to feel pleasure at the sight of turnips and cabbages, wilted for want of water but still standing, and straggling butter beans and snap beans, yellow but edible. She sat down in the furrows and dug into the earth with hands that shook, filling her basket slowly. There would be a good meal at Tara tonight, in spite of the lack of side meat to boil with this vegetables. Perhaps some of the bacon grease Daisy was was using for illumination could be used for seasoning. She must remember to tell Daisy to use pine knots and save the grease for cooking. Close to the back step of the one cabin, she found a short row of radishes, and hunger assaulted her suddenly. A spicy, sharp, tossing radish was exactly what her stomach craved. Hardly waiting to rub the dirt off of her skirt off on her skirt. She bit off half and swallowed it hastily. It was old and coarse and so peppery that tears started in her eyes. No sooner had the lump gone down to the empty outraged stomach revolted and she lay in the soft dirt and vomited tiredly. The faint smell which crept from the cabin increased her nausea and without strength to combat it, she kept on retching miserably while the cabin's and trees revolved swiftly around her. After a long time, she lay weakly on the face, the earth as soft and comfortable as a feather pillow, and her mind wandered freshly here and there. She, Scholar Hara, was lying behind a Negro cabin in the midst of ruins, too sick and too weak to move, and no one in the world knew or cared. No one would care if they did know, for everyone had too many troubles of his own to worry about her. And all this was happening to her, Scarlett O'Hara, who had never raised her hand even to pick up her discarded stockings from the floor or to tie the laces of her slippers. Scarlett, whose little headaches and tempers had been coddled and catered to all her life. As she lay prostrate, too weak to fight off memories and worries, they rushed to her like buzzards waiting for death. No longer had she the strength to say. I'll think of Mother and Pa and Ashley and all the ruins later. Yes, later, when I can stand it. She could not stand it now, but she was thinking of them, whether she willed it or not. The thoughts circled and swooped above her, dived down and drove tearing claws and sharp beaks into her mind. For a timeless time, she lay still, her face in the dirt, the sun beating hotly upon her remembering things and people who were dead, remembering a way of living that was gone forever, and looking upon the harsh visits of the dark future. When she rose at last and saw again the black ruins of the twelve oaks, her head was raised high, and something that was youth and beauty and potential tenderness had gone out of her face forever. What was past was past. These who were dead were dead. Those who were dead were dead. The lazy luxury of the old days was gone, never to return. And as Scarlet settled the heavy basket across her arm, she had settled her own mind and her own life. There was no going back, and she was going forward. Throughout the South, for 50 years, there would be bitter-eyed women who looked backwards, to dead times, to dead men, evoking memories that hurt and were futile, um, bearing poverty with bitter pride because they had those memories but scarlet was never to look back she gazed at the blackened stones and for the last time she saw twelve oaks rise before her eyes as it had once stood rich and proud symbol of race of a race and a way of living then she started down the road toward tara the heavy basket cutting into her flesh Hunger gnawed at her empty stomach again, she said. As God is my witness, as God is my witness, the Yankees are going to lick me. I'm going to live through this, and then it's over. I'm never going to be hungry again, no, nor any of my folks. If I have to steal or kill, as God is my witness, I'm never going to be hungry again. So that in the days that followed, Tara might have been... Brousseau's desert island. So still it was, so isolated from the rest of the world. The world lay only a few miles away, but a thousand miles of tumbling waves might have stretched between Tara and Jonasboro, and Fayetteville, and Lovejoy, even between Tara and the neighbor's plantations. With the old horse dead, their one mode of Conveyance was gone, and then there was neither time nor strength for walking the weary red miles. Sometimes, in the days of her back-breaking work, and the desperate struggle for food, and the never-ceasing care of the three sick girls, Scarlet found herself straining her ears for familiar sounds, the shrill laughter of the Pecanine's in the quarters, the creaking of wagons home from the fields, the thunder of Gerald's stallion tearing across, and the gay voices of neighbors dropping in from afternoon of gossip. But she listened in vain. The road lay still and deserted, and never a cloud of red dust proclaimed the approach of visitors. Tar was an island in a sea of rolling green hills and red fields. Somewhere was the world and families who ate and slept safely under their own roofs, Summer girls in thrice-turned dresses were flirting gaily and singing, when the cruel war was over, as she had done only a few weeks before. Somewhere there was a war and common bombing, booming and burning towns, and men who rotted in hospitals and amid sickening sweet stinks. Somewhere a barefoot army in dirty homespun was marching, fighting, sleeping, hungry and weary with the weariness that comes when hope is gone. And somewhere, the hills of Georgia were blue with Yankees, well-fed Yankees on sleek, corn-stuffed horses. Beyond Tara was the war and the world, but on the plantation, the war and the world did not exist, except as memories which must be fought back when they rushed to mind in moments of exhaustion. The world outside receded before the demands of empty and half-empty stomachs and life resolves herself into two itself into two related thoughts food and how to get it food food why did the stomach have a longer memory than her mind scarlet could banish heartbreak but not hunger and each morning as she lay half asleep before memory brought back to her mind war and hunger She curled drowsily, expecting the sweet smells of baking, frying, and rolls basking, and each morning she sniffed so hard to really smell the food she woke herself up. There were apples, yams, peanuts, and milk on the table of Tara, but never enough for even the primitive fare. At the sight of them, three times a day, her memory would rush back to the old days, the meals of her old days, the candlelit table and the food prefer being the air. How careless they had been of food then. What prodigal waste. Rolls, corn muffins, biscuits, and waffles, dripping butter, all at one meal. Ham at one end of the table, and fried chicken at the other. Collards swimming richly in pot liquor, iridescent with grease. Uh, wait. And, yeah. Um snap peas, beans, and mountains on brightly flowered porcelain, fried squash, stewed okra, um, carrots and cream sauce thick enough to eat, and three desserts, so everyone might have their choice. Chocolate layer cake, vanilla blaine munch, and pound cake topped with sweet whipped cream. The memory of those savory meals had the power to bring tears to eyes, as death and war had failed to do and the power to turn her ever gnawing stomach from rumbling emptiness to nausea for the appetite Mammy had always deplored the healthy appetite of a 19 year old girl now was increased fourfold by the hard and unremitting labor she had never known before hers was not the only troublesome appetite of tara for whenever she turned hungry faces and white, black and white, met her eyes. When, whenever she turned, hungry faces, black and white, met her eyes. Soon, Corinne and Sue Ellen would have the insatiable hunger of typhoid convalescence. Already little Wade whined monotonously, Wade don't like yums. Wade hungry. The others grumbled too. Miss Scarlet. Ness I get, gets more to eat. I can not neither of those children. Miss Scarlet, if I don't have more in my stomach, I can split no wood. Lamb as perishing for real littles Ma uh, as perishing for real, real littles. Daughter daughter, must we always have yams? I said that really weird. Sorry. Only Melanie did not complain. Melanie whose Face grew thinner and thinner and twitched with pain, even in her sleep. I'm not hungry, Scarlet. Give me, sh- give my share of the milk to Dicey. She needs it to nurse the babies. Sick baby are never hungry. Six people are never hungry. It was her gentle hardihood which in- t- irritated Scarlet more than the snagging whining voices of the others. She, she could and did shout them down with bitter sarcasm, but before Melanie's unselfishness, she was helpless. Helpless and resentful, Gerald, the Negroes, and Wade clung to Melanie now, because even in her weakness, she was kind and sympathetic, and these days, Scarlett was neither. Wade especially haunted Melanie's room. There was something wrong with Wade, but just what it was, Scarlet had no time to discover. She took Mammy's word, and the little boy had worms and dosed him with a mixture of dried herbs and bark, which Ellen always used to worm the piccaninnies. But the verm verm only made the child look paler. These days, Scarlet hardly thought of Wade as a person. He was only another worry, another mouth to feed. Some day when the present emergency was over, she would play with him, tell him stories, and teach him his ABCs, but now she did not have the time or the soul or the inclination, and because he always seemed underfoot when she was most worried and worried, she often spoke sharply to him. It annoyed her that her quick reprimands brought such acute fright to his round eyes, for he looked so simple minded when he was frightened. She did not realize that the little boy lived shoulder to shoulder with terror too great for an adult to comprehend. Fear lived with Wade, fear that shook his soul and made him wake screaming in the night. Any unexpected noise or sharp word set him to trembling. For in the mind, noises and harsh words were inextric- inextricably mixed with the Yankees, and he was more afraid of Yankees than of Prissy's hands. Haunts. Until the thunders of the siege began, he had never known anything but a happy, placid, quiet life. Even though his mother paid him little attention, he had known nothing but petting and kind words until the night when he was jerked from slumber to find the sky aflame and the air deafening with explosions. And that night and the day which followed, he had been slapped by his mother, for the first time and had heard her voice raised to him in harsh words. Life in the pleasant brick house on Peachtree Street, the only life he knew, had vanished that night and he would never recover from its loss. In the flight from Atlanta, he had understood nothing except that the Yankees were after him and now he still lived in fear that the Yankees would catch him and cut him to pieces. Whenever Scarlet raised her voice in reproof, he would weep with fright as the vague, childish memory brought up the horrors of the first time she had ever done, done it. Now Yankees and a cross voice were linked forever in his mind, and he was afraid of his mother. Scarlet could not help noticing that the child was beginning to avoid her, and in the rare moments when her unending duties gave her time to think about it, it bothered her a great deal. It was even worse than having him at her skirts all the time and she was offended that he, his refuge was Melanie's bed where he played quietly at games. Melanie suggested or listened to stories she told. Wade adored auntie and she had a gentle voice who always ma- smiled and who never said, Hush, Wade, you give me a headache or stop fidgeting, Wade, for heaven's sake. Scarlet had neither the time nor the impulse to pet him but it made her jealous to see melanie do it when she found him one day standing on his head in melanie's bed and saw him collapse on her she slapped him don't you know better than to jiggle auntie like that when she's sick now trot right out in the yard and play and don't come in here again but melanie reached out a weak arm and drew the smiling child to her there there wade you didn't mean to jiggle me did you he doesn't bother me scarlet Do let him stay with me. Let me take care of him. It's the only thing I can do till I get well, and you've got your hands full enough without having to watch him. Don't be a goose, Melly," said Scarlet shortly. You aren't getting well like you should, and having Wade fall on your stomach will help you. Now, Wade, if I ever catch you on Auntie's bed again, I'll wear you out and stop sniffling. You are always sniffling. Try to be a little man wade flew sobbing to hide himself into the under the house melanie hit bit her lip and tears came to her eyes and mamie standing in the hall a witness on the scene scowled and breathed hard but no one talked back to scarlet these days they were all afraid of her sharp tongue all afraid of the new person who walked by in her body scarlet resigned supreme at tara or scarlet reigned supreme Now, and like others, suddenly elevated to authority, all the bullying instincts in her nature rose to the surface. It was not that she was um, basically unkind, it was because, because she was so frightened and unsure of herself. She was harsh, lest others learn her inadequacies and refuse her authority. Besides, there was some. Pleasure in shouting at people and knowing they they were afraid. Scarlet found that it relieved her overwrought nerves. She was not blind to the fact that her personality was changing. Sometimes when her curt orders made pork stick out his underlip and mammy mutter, some folks were mighty high these days. She wondered where her good manners had gone. All the courtesy, all the gentleness Ellen had striven, to instill in her had fallen away from her as quickly as leaves fall from trees in the first chill wind of autumn. Time and again Ellen had said, Be firm, but be gentle with inferiors, especially darkies. But if she was gentle, the darkies would sit in the kitchen all day, talking endlessly about the good old days when a house negro wasn't supposed to do a field hands work love and cherish your sisters be kind to to the afflicted said ellen show tenderness to those in sorrow and in trouble she couldn't love her sisters now they were simply a dead weight on her shoulders and as for cherishing them wasn't she bathing them combing their hair and feeding them even as the expense of walking miles every day to find vegetables wasn't she learning to milk the cow even though her heart was always in her throat when that fearsome animal shook its horns at her and as for being kind that was a waste of time if she was overly kind to them they'd probably prolong their stay in bed and she wanted them on their feet again as soon as possible so there would be flour for more hands to help her they were convalescing slowly and lay scrawny and weak in their bed while they had been unconscious. the world had changed. the Yankees had come, the darkies had gone, and mother had died. Here were three unbelievably unbelievable uh, here were three unbelievable happenings, and their minds could not take them in sometimes they believed they must still be delirious, and these things had not happened at all, certainly scarlet was so changed she couldn't be real when she hung over the foot of their bed and outlined the work she expected them to do when they recovered they looked at her as if they were she were hobgoblin. it was beyond their comprehension that they no longer had a hundred slaves to do their work it was beyond their comprehension that an o'hara lady should be should do manual labor "'But, sister,' said Corrine, her sweet, childish face blank with consternation, I, "'I couldn't split kettling. It would ruin my hands.' "'Look at mine,' answered Scarlet with a frightening smile "'as she pushed blistered and calloused palms toward her. "'I think you are hateful to talk to Baby and me like that,' cried Swellen. I think you are lying and trying to frighten us. If Mother were only here, she wouldn't let you talk to us like this. Split-kiddling, indeed. Suelen looked with weak loathing at her older sister, feeling sure Scarlet had these things just to be mean. Suelen had nearly died, and she had lost her mother, and she was lonely and scared, and she wanted to be petted and made much of. Instead, Scarlet looked over the foot of the bed each day, appraising their improvement with a hateful new gleam in her slanting green eyes, and talked about making beds, preparing food, carrying water buckets, and splitting kidling, And she looked as if sh- she took pleasure in saying these such awful things. Scarlet did take pleasure in it. She bullied the darkies and harried the feelings of her sister's not only because she was too worried and strained and tired to do otherwise, but because it helped her to forget her own bitterness and everything her mother had told her about life was wrong. Nothing her mother had taught her was of any value whatsoever now, and Scarlett's heart was sore and puzzled. It did not occur to her that Alan could not have foreseen her collapse the collapse of the civilization in which she raised her daughters could not have anticipated the disappearings of the places in society for which she trained them so well it did not occur to her that ellen had looked down a vis a vista of placid future years all like the uneventful years of her own life when she had taught her to be gentle and gracious honorable and kind modest and truthful life treated women well when they had learned those lessons said ellen scarlet thought didn't spare nothing no nothing she taught me and is any help to me what good will kindness do me now what value is gentleness better that i'd learn to plow or chop cotton like a darky oh mother you were wrong She did not stop to think that Ellen's ordered world was gone and a brutal world had taken its place. A world wherein every standard, every value had changed. She only saw, or thought she saw, that her mother had been wrong. And she changed swiftly to meet this new world for which she had not prepared. Only her feeling for Tara had not changed. She never came wearily home across the fields and saw the sprawling white horse house that her heart did not swell with love and the joy of homecoming. She never looked out of her window at the green pastures and red fields and ta- tall, tangled swamp forests that a sense of beauty did not fill her. Her love for this land, with its softly rolling hills of bright red soil, this beautiful red earth that was blood colored garnet brick dust ferm- vermilion which so mir- miraculously miraculously grew green bushes starred with white puffs was one part of scarlet which did not change when all else was changing nowhere else in the world was there a land like this when she looked at Tara she would understand she could understand a part why wars were fought Brett was wrong, wrong when he said men fought wars for money no they fought for swelling acres softly furrowed in the plow for pastures green with stubby cropped grass for lazy yellow rivers and white houses that would cool in magnolias these were the only things worth fighting for the red earth which was theirs and would be their sons the red earth which would bear cotton for their sons and their sons' sons their trampled acres of Tara were all that was left to her now Her, now that mother and Ashley were gone now that Gerald was senile from shock and money and dirties had and security and position had vanished overnight as from another world, she remembered a conversation with her father about the land and wondered how she could have been so young, so ignorant, as to not to understand what he meant when he said that the land was the one thing in the world worth fighting for. For tis the only thing in the world that lasts, and to anyone with a drop of English blood in them, the land they live on like, is like their mother. "'Tis the only thing worth workin' for, fightin' for, done for. Yes, Tara was worth fighting for, and she accepted simply and without question the fight. No one was going to get Tara away from her. No one was going to get her and her people adrift on the charity of relatives. She would hold Tara if she had to break the back of every person on it.